like my partner and I like we definitely love to get involved like going forward and just like giving back to like young guys that do have ideas you know like like you say we're still learning we don't know everything but at least we can share a little nuggets of information from our journey that might help Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Matt Brown Show. Today, we are joined by Idan Jan. He is the co-founder of a fintech company that is making major waves in Africa called Funder. Uh, this particular startup has been featured in, I can't tell you, plenty, plenty, plenty media outlets, Venture Burn, Business Report, City Press, Fin24, Entrepreneur Magazine, Fin Week, Mail and Guardian, Money Web, Business Tech, and many, many others. And that is because they have a fantastic story, and I'm really excited to bring this story to you today. So uh, in this episode, we really dive back into the startup ecosystem of Africa and South Africa. Uh, it's been a while since we covered the local um, continent entrepreneurship and business-wise. It's been uh, quite an international brigade for some time, so it's been a refreshing uh, look again at startups for quite some time. So so in this episode, guys, Idan reveals some very interesting and relevant insights that I wasn't aware of about startups here. Uh, specifically, he makes the point about, as a startup, how LinkedIn is underutilized and the value of reaching out to uh, you know listed company CEOs and their engagements back into the funder space strategically. It's just been really, really exciting to hear. Uh, and then also, uh, we reveal this idea around, you know, business is always happening for you, not happening to you. And uh, pay careful attention to the story he shares where he reveals how they lost a pitch to Vodacom, but in fact, it was a blessing in disguise and more about that a bit later. And then also uh, pay careful attention uh, to the part of the show where we're calling it the day before it ends moment. It's, it's seemingly something that is consistent across many entrepreneurs and stories of successful businesses. There comes a time at some point in their life where it was basically the day before it was going to end tomorrow uh, for various reasons. And Funder has a very interesting story around that space as well. So we get into that. Uh, we get into uh, Paystack, the acquisition of Paystack in Nigeria to strive for over $100 million. And uh, we discuss incubators versus accelerators and so, so, so much more, guys. So very excited to bring you some fresh local talent once again right here on the Matt Brown Show. Oh, and one more thing, guys, if you would like to join the conversation with me, please send me an email. It's hello at mattbrownshow.com, and I respond to every email. So without further ado, into Idan John. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to yet another cracking installment on a very busy day. Somehow I've had to find time to get our next extraordinary talent on the show. He's actually a local boy. So Idan John, welcome to the show, dude. Thank you. Thanks. You know, usually I do say uh, it's a pleasure to be here, but I think in this instance, it's actually a great, great pleasure to be here. And I'm a big, big fan. Uh, yeah, I believe you listened to the show. Yeah, you know, actually funny enough, my partner and I, when we started the business, one of our one of our measuring success metrics was to be on the Matt Brown show one day. So, mom, I made it. <laughs> no, it's always good to meet a fan dude um so today we are going to talk about um funder right so this is a, a startup that uh, is doing amazing things locally so very keen to to get your story on record man so why don't you give us um the headline like what are you who you're about what's the elevator pitch yeah, sure. So Funder, we provide working capital to small businesses. You know, there's a, there's a big uh, funding shortfall in South Africa currently within the market. Pre-COVID, it was estimated to be around 60 billion rand funding gap to small businesses in South Africa. We are well, well aware of the banks uh, not filling in this void just simply because they ask for a ridiculous amount of paperwork, long turnaround time. They're expecting the business to be operational for a certain amount of years before actually accessing finance. They want the business to have such a strong balance sheet before receiving finance from the bank. So, And most businesses, fortunately and unfortunately, just don't have those things. So. Uh, it gave a big rise to alternative financiers in the market. So we essentially like to consider ourselves as alternative lenders. And we provide um, short-term funding to businesses ranging three to 12 months in term, uh, 20,000 to 5 million rand in size. So how do you, um, 
how do you know that there's a 60 billion rand shortfall? Like, what does that, what does that mean practically? Where's, what's that kind of number made up of? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, there's, there's, um, there's roughly the estimated, and I'm talking pre-COVID, there hasn't been like updated COVID, uh, post-COVID um, statistics that came out. So pre-COVID, there were around 2.8 million SMEs operating in South Africa. It was estimated that a million rand are considered formal. And there was a 60%, there was a study made by Finscope that said 60% of those million SMEs are actively in the market seeking finance. And with an average loan size of like 100,000 Rand, that's what we see on our books. Uh, it gives a 60 billion Rand funding gap. Hmm. Um, what data do you have about um, the sort of impact of COVID on funding generally? So what we see, I mean, I can't speak for the like for the economic landscape, for example, but I can talk about like what we see internally. So, I mean, just to let's take like a step back and what happened in, in end of March last year. Ninety um, percent of our businesses were shut down, essentially level five lockdown. That meant that we gave ninety percent of our businesses a payment holiday, like straight off the bat. We didn't even ask questions. We said, if your doors are closed, all your payments will be closed essentially as well. So we gave them payment holidays and we expected this to essentially happen until December. Obviously at the, at that time, you know, everyone was having a very pessimistic view of the economy and of the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, small businesses essentially are the forefront of this economic depression. So we expected our book to be extremely volatile and we, we gave them payment holidays, not expecting to receive anything back up until December. Funny enough, just to show the resiliency of the economy and small businesses, by, by July, our book was was full to 100% again, everyone paying. We saw uh, an amazing re-advance rate, meaning existing customers coming back to us. Usually we were sitting around 60% return. Uh, return rate, we went up to 90% return rate. So all of our existing customers, essentially most of them, came back and asked for a re-advance. So what does a re-advance mean? It's guys that had their doors closed. Now they want to open again. They want to buy stock. They want to um, you know, move online because of this whole COVID pandemic has taught people and businesses. One thing is that you need to have a digital and online footprint. So we were able to provide them with all those funding. On the other side and non-customers, what we've seen after COVID is uh, just a higher quality of, of, of leads coming through. And I mean, speaking to the clients, we, we see that the guys that used to go to the bank before before this COVID pandemic and used to get serviced by the banks uh, now essentially aren't because I think the banks were super busy with all the TERS payments and all the grants, et cetera. Et cetera. So I think it, it, it forced a lot of businesses to kind of look elsewhere for funding. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, you guys are sitting in quite an interesting position in that you're almost an enablement partner of the ecosystem. So fixing that 60 billion you know, shortfall is, is not a small number, right? Um, and, uh, you know, also Africa is a, such a unique market. I mean, I, I just want to kind of piggyback on something that you mentioned around, um, you know, lots of pessimis, pessimism, let's call it, uh, you know, within the South African slash African economy at the moment. I mean, uh, looking at the markets and the ecosystem holistically, you know, understanding the type of, you know, higher quality leads coming through, your return rates are going in the right direction. How negative should entrepreneurs be now, if at all? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers.
Um, look, I mean, it's very the, probably the only negativity that an entrepreneur should have is the is the instability and not know what to come, what's coming next, right? Because we're moving. I mean, there's sec. There was a first wave, second wave. I mean, we we don't doubt there will be a, a third and fourth wave. So, so the negativity must always be in the form of I don't know what the government restrictions are going to be next. But I think um, in light of all of this, there's, there's, there's amazing opportunity out there. You know, I mean, if you, you, you have to capitalize on these sorts of um, economic turbulence, you know, I mean, I mean, there's great, great opportunity, especially where the world's moving to and especially where South Africa is moving to. Yes, exactly. I believe that um, now is a great time to start a business, right? So, I mean, I did that and, um, you know, those companies genuinely that are formed in a very harsh, let's call it economic environment, are the ones that genuinely stand out. I mean, how old is Funder actually? So we started in June 2018. Um, but the amount of growth that we've seen in the past six months, it's just it's just ridiculous. And um, I think one of the one of the most uh, one of the catalysts for it is this economic instability. You know, it's um, we just we just we just purely capitalized on the on the current landscape and uh, and I think that that's what's given us this kind of like parachute well you're like the poster child for what I've just said right around starting a company twenty eighteen was not great it's not great now yeah. uh, it hasn't been great for some time and yet here you are kind of shooting the lights out i mean you know, the growth you've said, you know, as you said, last six months, last six months, you've been in COVID and you've just been shooting the lights out. I mean, our side, we've, you know, we grew by 220% in COVID. So, you know, when is the right time? Is it, re can you ever really be so negative about the future? It's crazy. A hundred percent. I mean, you, you talk, I'm talking about the last six months, just in the, in the last three months alone, we grew by like 157%. So, it's and and that's and that's kind of leading up. If you if you think about the last three months, it's kind of the that area where you know, like I said, like we said, everyone's pessimist. So everyone was like, "Oh, December is going to be second wave, second wave, second restrictions," and we still managed to manage to grow our book while maintaining like a very good level of like being cognizant of risk, right? Because mm. in our business is. Um, uh, one of the fortunate things about like what we do is that we provide funding and it's a very easy product to sell, right? You just need to make sure you sell it to the right person. Um, yeah, exactly right. Um, so maybe let's go back to the beginning, right? So we've got a lot of context here. Um, so where did this whole like, 2018, let's go back to day one. I mean, where did this whole thing start? So I was actually in a food and beverage space, funny enough. Uh, I finished varsity. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. My brother is very predominant in the food and beverage industry. He owns uh, quite a few restaurants and franchises. So he kind of, I, did, I wasn't finding my feet. And he said, why don't you come join me for a bit? Uh, that little bit became five years. I was working there, essentially being an SME owner myself. Uh, saw the inabilities to access finance. You know, we were running restaurants, uh, we were having queues, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. At the end of the month, uh, you had to pay salaries, you had to pay your creditors, you had to pay rent. Everything was piling up, and I was running into cash flow issues myself. Um, approached the bank, and the bank, like I said, was just giving me, you know, the the finger. And um, I kind of, I said, there has to be some better way to do this started looking around seeing what was happening in south africa and the competitive landscape there were a few players but it wasn't really anything innovative then i was looking what was happening in the states and i saw some crazy innovation coming from there um so i just kind of put put it down on paper i never really thought much of it and i went my partner jared he was actually living in the states at the time he was he's a ca was working at Grand Thornton in Manhattan. So I went there for, for a little holiday. We went, we went for dinner and some beers. And I was telling him I've got this idea. And he was telling me he wants to come back to South Africa. He wants to start something. He's over the co corporate world. Literally sent him an email. I think that was August 2017. We both quit our jobs in November 2017, uh, focusing full-time on this. At the beginning, we had zero experience or idea of a lending business we didn't know what the hell we were doing 
we we made this beautiful uh, business plan with all these beautiful projections and an amazing pitch deck and started approaching investors. We we spoke to about like 55 investors before we actually launched and been rejected every single time. Every single guy was telling us, listen, we like you, you're nice, you're two nice, two nice young guys, but you don't know what you're doing. You have zero idea or experience of what it is that you're doing. And why would I give you my money where like you don't even have a product, it's just an idea. We soon realized that idea is the easy part, execution is the hard part. So we had to bootstrap the business. You know, we had to take all of our life, life savings, put it in the business and actually start, start, uh, start making something out of nothing. So much I want to get into there. I mean, you, I mean, you still don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so 100%. I don't know what I'm doing. No one knows what they're doing. They're just figuring it out as they go. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I love the That's VC. Sure. I love the VC response though. You know, look, you don't know what you're doing. I'm not going to back you. What a bunch of idiots, right? Um, do you think Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> knew what he was doing when he started Facebook? No. Hopefully so, not. So like, Oh, it's just a, it's a funny thing, right? You think that you need to know in order to be successful. And actually, I almost say that it's inversely true, that the more you don't know, the more, it's almost like the more you know, the more you get, you know, pigeonholed into what you're about and whether or not you can or you can't, you know, what do you say to someone that's uh, probably sitting there going, I'm waiting, I'm waiting to know before I found another company like Funder? No, like you, you just need to go out there. I swear, you just need to get thrown in the deep end and learn how to swim. I mean, we that was our whole mentality. Like, we just have to start. Like, whatever happens, happens, you know? Like, if you have a job now, like, most chances are if this thing flanks, you'll find another job. Like, that's not the end of the world, you know? Both my partner and I, we knew that we'll be okay if this thing flops. Uh, we'll be able to find something, um, fortunately enough. So we just had to give it a try. You know, one of one of the things that we saw was an advantage coming with no experience in the lending industry is that we can really come from like an outside point of view and, and essentially look at it how a consumer would look at it and rather have a product offering that is relevant to the consumer rather than being nurtured and brought up in this big lending institution and then you just do exactly what they do. Um, in a different manner, you know, we kind of flipped everything on their head and we were doing credit and our way of operation was, was very different to what was out there. And that kind of gave us the edge. So, so our biggest weakness became our biggest advantage. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, um, what would you say has been the hardest part of being a startup in Africa? I mean, there's lots of talk about this and how the ecosystem's not really set up to support the you know, the startup and everybody was romanced about this idea of, well, you know, we need another 5 million small businesses in order to fix the economy. And then there's, well, there's BE and then there's the lack of funding, the 60 billion shortfall you mentioned. There is so many things that are weighted against the founder on day one. It's highly improbable, irrespective of like the ecosystem that you're going to make it, right? So how do you, you know, if, you, if we want to get to a 5 million number, as a case in point, over five years, you know, we're up against it. So I'd love to get your candid view, like having been there two years ago, still a startup. I mean, your website's littered with, uh, you know, media coverage and stuff. And so you guys have managed to navigate through a very sort of tumultuous startup ecosystem in Africa. So I'd love to get your view. Like what would you, how would you characterize it today? How hard is it? So I think it's extremely hard, but it's doable, right? I mean, you just got to weather the pain. Um, I think the biggest problem, well, for us was the access to finance. I mean, we couldn't get finance uh, for a very, very long time. Um, but we were fortunate enough to get accepted into Alpha Code. So Alpha Code, I'm sure you know, but I'll tell everyone, they, they just, they unbelievable. Um, so it's a, it's a fintech incubator founded by uh, the guys from RMR. Uh, doing unbelievable things. I mean, they they set up this whole little ecosystem um, within their offices. So they have like the shared office space that they allow these pre-revenue startups essentially to come. And there's workshops and you get to sit with like really amazing people and kind of 
run your progress through. So I think that was the catalyst for our success, if you ask me. Um, I think having the sort of incubation program where you can speak to like-minded people, have forums, um, uh, but measure like your, your milestones through having all these meetings. You know, we used to have meetings either on a monthly or quarterly basis with the guys from AlphaCode just kind of reflecting back, you know, what tends to happen is your face is too close to the paper. I'm sure you also know it as well. What mm -hmm. happens is you get stuck in operations, day-to-day -day running of the business. You you just literally, we literally call it your face is too close to the paper. You need to sometimes like step back and like see the bigger picture because you just get blinded, right? So it's always good to, to, to head in like a certain direction and then kind of speak to someone like a, a mentor per se mm -hmm. and kind of, give them an update of where you've been the last month or three months or whatever it is, even six months. And, and then let, get another piece of guidance from someone that's, that's uh, done it before, you know, tell you, okay, you need to go this direction. Now, and then you put your head down and head in this direction. And then next milestone, you reflect back with them and they tell you, okay, you need to go this way now. So I think alpha code has been tremendous to, to our success. So I think if you're asking, what is the, what is the catalyst to get to that point? I think, I think incubation programs are amazing. You know, we got accepted into AlphaCode in Feb 2018 with zero business, zero. We didn't even have a bank account set up. We didn't even have a registered company. You know, it was just two young guys with an idea. And uh, that's what you need. You need, you, you don't need these like, okay, so these accelerators are amazing. But I think these incubation programs to get the guys up and running from the idea, because the idea is is the easy part, right? You know, we were sitting with one with one of the VCs uh, when we were trying to raise capital pre-revenue. We didn't have anything. It was literally just an idea. And the guy was telling us, um, yeah, you know how easy ideas are. Then he pulled out his phone and he tapped in on Google. It was like top five uh, startup ideas. And he was like, yeah, look, I've got five ideas to start a business. So so I think the, the idea is, uh, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's the easiest part, but it's the easy part. Now the execution's hard and you need a little bit of mentorship and you need a little bit of guidance, you know, and it's something that like my partner and I, like we definitely love to get involved, like going forward and just like giving back to like young guys that do have ideas, you know, like, like you say, we're still learning. We don't know everything, but at mm -hmm. least we can share a little nuggets of information from our journey that might help. Yeah. I mean, those, I love those sentiments and resonate with those fully. I mean, uh, it's a whole reason why or you'll know from being a listener to the show, like why, why we do the show um, is to do that kind of virtual, you know, distributed mentorship at scale sort of thing, because uh, we all need a little bit of help every, all, you know, along the way. And it's very, you know, I've, I had Mike Michalowicz on the show uh, on the last episode and we we're talking about how entrepreneurs have this, they want to be the superhero. They, they feel like, no, they must do everything. They must solve everything. But like he used the analogy of Batman. So when Batman comes and they put the lights up in the sky and he kicks all the bad guys ass, it actually takes away from, uh, it diminishes the value of the police force, which is the people. So um, in many cases, entrepreneurs, we, we stand in the way of the success of the business. We don't, even though we feel that we don't. Um, and so oftentimes to your point, uh, I can't remember the exact words you use, but uh, I'll use my own. It's like when you, you said you're too close to the paper. And my, my version is when you're stuck inside the bottle, you can't read the label. So what you need is a perspective shift yeah. to, to, uh, to shift basically your decision-making and uh, and you only get that through mentorship and somebody who isn't as close to the paper as what you are on any given day, you know. Um, and um, uh, yeah, it's it's not an easy journey, but you do need that. So I'm glad um, that mentorship piece. I'm glad that you are giving back to the community. So that's really great. Um, you know, I, I I knew I knew the guys at Alpha Code quite well up here in Johannesburg. I know you're from Johannesburg. Um, I went on the venture train once from Joburg to Cape Town. I don't know if you were on that train. So there was, nah. a, there was a whole bunch of startups and uh, we were literally stuck on a train <laughs> for like 18 hours. It was horrible. <laughs> Going all the way down to Cape Town, it was like stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. But it was cool in, to, in the sense of, you know, you were meeting venture capitalists, you were meeting startups and you were speed dating and you were forced to kind of, you know, talk to people and engage and connect and all this kind of stuff. And one of the one of the things I remember quite distinctly was a theme that came out of what startups actually need. And I want to get your view on this. 
Um, and so the, the, the words that we used was what most startups today need most is access to markets. Now, I would like to get your view. What is it? Is, what do you think is the number one requirement? I know there's lots of them, but if you were to hazard a guess that this is where what we need now in order to create an economy that's beneficial for, for everybody, um, is do, do startups need access to markets or do they need access to capital? So I would say, I would say it's hard to access the markets without capital, right? But then again, it's hard. It's hard. It's like it's not. It's not. It's not conducive to just give capital to businesses that just require capital, right? I mean, when we started, when we started Funder, our Bible essentially was the lean startup. So, what does the lean startup tell you? The book is like you. You have get the get the most lean MVP out there in the market, learn what the market wants. And then from that kind of adapt and do your product offering instead of like, so I'll give you a perfect example. Hold on. Um, when we started Funder, before we were live in the market, right? We had this whole technology system scoped out in our mind. We went to like certain developers, we non-technical founders, by the way. So we went to all these developing houses and got these like people to kind of scope out a system for us of what we think we need um, and how much will it cost. And off that costing, we went out to try raise capital to build this amazing piece of technology software system that would take us to the market and make us number one in the market with, in no time. That was our perception. And I'm still certain to this day, if we got that money and we built that system, it would have become obsolete in about a month or two because it's not what we needed, right? So the best thing that ever happened to us was getting rejected because we had to bootstrap and we had to use our own capital. And essentially we started off with no system whatsoever. We, we faked, faked it till we made it. And we, we, we started super lean and we actually got to understand what the market wants. And with that knowledge, we raised capital further down the line and built this piece of technology that we have and utilizing right now. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's a chicken and egg story. Like I'm saying, access to capital is like super important, but I do think entrepreneurs like need to just start like as simple as possible, you know, like just get your product out there to the market, get your brand, understand what they want. What does the market want? You think they know what they want, but you never know what they want. Um, and, and mm -hmm. from that, and from that, um, raise your capital and tap into those markets. Um, I think one of the best tools that we've utilized the most is, is LinkedIn because, um, that gives you access to mentorship. Like people, I think people under, underutilize, I'm, I'm probably wrong when I, I give such a generalization, but most people that I speak to, let's put it like that. Most people that I speak to and my circle and my friends, they don't use LinkedIn to its full potential. I mean, we've had my partner and I, Jared, we've had meetings with listed like Nasdaq company CEOs just because of LinkedIn, just reaching out to them on LinkedIn, being like, Hey, I'm a great fan. Always look up to you. I'm a young um, co-founder of this FinTech startup would love to bounce a few ideas off you. And it's funny, like you wouldn't think how many people actually like respond positively to it, you know, like JSC listed CEOs, like serious, powerful people that you just reach out to on LinkedIn. And they actually, everyone wants to help at the end of the day, you know, Mm, yeah, you're touching on such an important thing, right? Because you feel that, I mean, if I go back to like the first episode of the show, which is like 300 and something episodes ago, like I, wow, yeah, but you know, the thing was back then, it's the same idea. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to take your principle and apply it here for podcasting because I know the shark, any, anyone on the shark tank would come on the show, right? It's from, you know, the shark yeah. tank series. And then, then they all came on all of them. And then I was, like, I was like, cool. And then, and then it was like Leif Babin, you know? So it's like, that is huge brand wise. Yeah. Um, and then it like, it never stops. But what you did and what I did was the same thing. You just went and you asked anyway, like most of the people, most people don't want to reach out for the stars. Do you know what I mean? Like what is what you did? You went to the CEO of this bank listed company. Like he's too busy, right? Why would he have time yeah. to talk to you? I mean, you're only a little startup 
with no with no traction. You know what I mean? But yet that person, and that was obviously two years ago, different story now, but, um, you know, but here you are. Um, and it starts with reaching out and asking for help. Like one of the things that um, really annoys me with, with people in business is that they think they can do it all or they, they say they don't need help or they know what to do when they actually don't know. Can't handle that. You know, especially in, yeah, in your yeah. teams. I mean, how, like, I'd love to ask you um, before we get into the, the kind of operational stuff, which is going back to raising of capital. Um, how much money have you raised? So yeah, it's kind of it's kind of disclosed at the moment because oh. it's super private and stuff like that. So <laughs> okay, but but well, let, we, let, let me ask you a different question then. When is the right time to ask uh, raise capital? Um, so see, with us, it's so different. We, we're a debt business, right? I mean, we, we're selling money. I mean, that's our stock, right? So, so let's say like you, like say, let's say like a, like a shampoo store, for example, they need to buy shampoos to sell shampoos to make revenue. With us, we're a debt business. We're the most capital intensive industry, literally, that we could ever choose from. And one of the things that we're glad we didn't know the capital intensivity because I don't think we would have gotten into this industry if we understood prior how capital intensive this industry is. I mean, um, before I was focusing like 30 to 40% of my day, just capital raising, just speaking to people, signing NDAs, sharing all of our information with them, sharing financials, doing a pitch, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, like, you know, just being like, no, listen, this is not working out, whatever. So it, it weighs such a huge portion of your, of your day. But with us, like I say, we were constantly capital raising because we weren't capital raising for OPEX. So we weren't cap capital raising for a burn rate, for example, our business was self-sustaining. We were capital raising to grow revenue. So it was just a, it's just a very fine line. See, in, a, in, in a lending business, essentially, you've got like your debt, you lend it out for revenue, you get the money back, you relend it, get the money back, you relend it. So if you just want to stay on a kind of a flat trajectory, right, and like not grow, you can carry on with the capital you have available forever. And it's a good profitable business. But as soon as you start turning on and switching on new like distribution channels and your demand exceeds your supply, then you're either going to have to tarnish your brand by just rejecting people all the time because you simply don't have the capital or you capital raise. And with us, um, we were fortunate enough that our brand caught on so well in the market. And I think it's just branding, if you ask me, because we up until, um, up until January 20, up until January 2020, we did not advertise a single we do not spend a single round on advertising so from june 2018 up until first of up until january 2020 we didn't spend a single round on marketing and we were having excessive demand for our product so i think it was good branding that brought it on and with that it always gave us this burden of raising additional capital yeah um what do you say to st to startups? This is an old say. Remember Snapscan? So I always talk about Snapscan, right? The QR code payments, mobile payments thing, yeah. and Zapper arrived and whatever. But Snapscan was first. And then like Alpha Codes, as you mentioned, is uh, ran merchant investments or ran RMB. Um, and they've you know, built their ecosystem or their incubator rather to engage with the ecosystem to try and funnel innovation because obviously when you're a giant ship, it's very hard to change course. <laughs> so you need, yeah. you need to, corporates need to engage with startups to, to create and solve problems for them. I mean, even if it's pure play investment equity and you get some upside from it, but, but ultimately what they're looking for is, is a product that's innovative that they can resell across their customer base. So, um, Zach George, who is the founder of Startup Bootcamp, well, no, direct managing director of Startup Bootcamp in Africa, um, he um, he had this great saying, and he said, you know, startups go to corporates to die, um, and especially in Africa, because if you want scale, which is ultimately what 
mobile payments especially is is all about scale so how do you get access to the greatest share of the consumer wallet and as fast as possible and i love what you said around when you know articulating why you raise capital at certain times and raising capital for growth and i think that's very important because burn rate sucks (laughs) you know Um, so but um you know snapscan was bought by standard bank and ultimately what the hell happened to that it just went and like nothing happened it was like okay and then Zappa came, and I prefer Zappa, so it's weird. The, you have a situation where the incumbent lost, my view, the incumbent lost to Zappa. Um, and it's because it was in the hands of a corporate strategy that perhaps wasn't executed in its in the way that it should have been. Um, what do you say to that? I mean, as a, as a, as a financial fintech company today, do you, do you feel – that you should, if you want scale, that you should engage with a corporate to get access to a customer base. Because if you want 6 million customers overnight, you go to Standard Bank or 10 million or whatever the case is. Um, Or you could do it yourself and then you can raise capital and try and go direct to consumer. But as you said, you know, well, one, South Africa doesn't have this huge 350, 400 million consumer market like, like America does. So it's hard to scale huge, right? Very fast. Um, and in South yeah. Africa, you've got 50 million people and of many of those are not even banked. So, I mean, sure. what's your view on this whole, this whole play now? So I'll tell you, um, when we started our number one objective, essentially like the, like that gold of pot at the end of the rainbow for us was to partner up with a bank. Why? Because exactly like you're saying, distribution, 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 uh, never mind the data they've got on their customers, but uh, how do we access that? data how do we access those customers we always said through a bank i mean that's uh, that's our goal um funny enough going along the journey we met one of our mentors uh carl westberg uh which is just an unbelievable businessman and he was actually telling us all the all the bad things about partnering up with corporates and exactly like you're saying they just make you stale they make that like you lose that nimbleness you lose that agility you lose everything once you partner up with a corporate that kind of made us change course and we started looking at a similar idea but how do we kind of not partner up with them per se in terms of like an equity play and we that's how we landed the telecom deal so we, we partnered up with Telcom. I don't know if we're going to touch on that later, but I mean, just to give you a little bit of a, of a brief overview on that. And also, same thing happened over LinkedIn. I reached out to the guy on LinkedIn and landed up setting up a meeting and took us 15 months. But after 15 months, we became the, 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 the preferred funding supplier for Telcom Financial Services to the SMB base. So Telcom started a Telcom Financial Services and um, we essentially are the lending partner to, to Telcom Financial Services. So what we do is we take uh, the Telcom database, we get anonymized data sets on the Telcom clients, obviously to comply with Poppy. They can't share with us their, their client base, but they give us, I mean, what industry the client operates in, um, um, how long the client's been a customer with them, what is the average um, spend with them, how, how many missed debit orders have they had, is it owned by a woman or by a man? Uh, what sector of the industry it operates in? What province the company operates in? We take all that data and essentially we, we run pre-approval um, credit algorithms at the back to pre-approve customers based off that data that we have. And that's where we market to the telecom database like pre-approved offers. Um, and just to give you an idea, like on a weekly or monthly basis, we send just over a hundred million rand worth of offers into the market, just off, uh, just to telecom client base. So with that thinking, uh, we looked hard and long how to, how to knock on one door to reach essentially like at this case, 500,000 SMEs with a little bit of data or to go the route of knocking on 500,000 different doors to convert 500,000 SMEs. Um, so, I mean, this, this, this whole vision of partnering up with a corporate, I think in terms of a, like a commercial commission deal, it's the best thing you can do. But if you go the whole equity route, like Snapscan did, and I'm not sure what, what happened with them, but you, you can, you do tend to go scale and you're governed by a lot more restrictions, I guess. It just becomes, it just becomes very bureaucratic, right? And you lose that whole edge. Yeah, you're you're almost getting all the benefits of partnering with the corporate without giving up any of your ownership. Sure, 
Sure, which is which has been we, we got blessed with it, but um, lucky for us, they didn't want to own a lending product. They wanted to just monetize their database. You know, I think they needed additional revenue streams. We came along. Funny enough, we we were up for this. I wouldn't call it a tender, but Vodacom did the same thing. So Vodacom started a Vodacom Financial Services. I believe all these telcos are doing it just to monetize on their database. Um, they did, they ran this thing and we lost it out to one of our competitors, the, the Vodacom deal. So it's called Vodalend. Uh, it was a white label product. We were pitching to use our platform, white label it for Vodacom. Uh, we lost out at the end, but it happened for the best because now we partnered up with Telcom, uh, which is bigger and, uh, they have a lot more data and we get to keep our brand. So it's not even white labeled. So now Telcom are essentially advertising a funded product. Which before it would have been like a voter lend product. So everything happens for a reason. Yes. Uh, life's always happening for you, not to you. Sure. Right. So yeah, one door closes and two others open. It's all about how you perceive what's happening. Right. So, um, I mean, what's the benefit for telecom? I mean, what are they, are they taking a share of the, of the, I mean, you don't have to give the specifics away, but loosely, like what's the benefit of that? I mean, if they're sharing anonymized data with you, understand what you're doing um so you sell whatever you sell financial services products to a telecom customer like what is in it for telecom if they're a telecommunications company so if it's an existing client of telecom we pay them a commission of each converted deal so i mean we we try use as much data as we can to make sure the the conversion is as high as possible and what do i mean by that i mean that we literally milk out every single piece of data available to us from telecom so we can run like i said pre-approved offers so let's say you're a telecom client and you spend for example um, x amount of rand on your on your internet or cell phone or telephone bill we then have models to analyze and gross it up where we can start to understand what is your monthly turnover with that we are able to bespoke offers to you and your business if you take up that offer uh, which essentially is just one button, one click, the way we market it. Um, then if we convert you, we pay a commission to Telcom. Now, what happens on new clients that Telcom brings in because they're going on this huge spree of acquiring new customers. So with that, um, if we get a new customer, we said they didn't want a commission. They wanted something a bit more. So what we said is if we get a new client that's not a telecom client, that's just been acquired through Google AdWords or whatever they advertise, whatever advertising channels they have, we acquire them, we do the deal, we fund them, then we cover six months of this package that's called Mass Start. So Yellow Pages, it's a subsidiary of telecom. They um, have this thing called Mass Start Package which uh, is a 12-month subscription package for small businesses. It costs $9.99 a month. And basically, they move your business from a brick and mortar online, which we thought it was like the amazing, the most amazing initiative, uh, especially like with this whole COVID pandemic. Like, I mean, we want to push businesses online. So um, what they do is they take your webs, they build your website, they market your website, they do like amazing SEO stuff in the back running for your website. They essentially give you a digital footprint. So we thought like that is the most amazing initiative. So we want to help businesses essentially with funding and with new sources of revenue and to move them online and keep them like up to date with the current uh, landscape. So we said if it's a 12 month contract, we'll subsidize the first six months. So essentially, we pay over like just short of uh, 6,000 Rand to Telcom on a new client. Uh, but in that way, we're also ensuring that our client has future revenues coming in, right? Because we can help with funding for stock. Mm. And now, essentially, we're helping him with this, whole new, with this whole new element for this business to start selling his stock online, as well as his retail store, for example. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, so that's a classic example. And it's so nice to see that story. Uh, you know, it's it's always nice. It's refreshing to see you guys making that type of partnership uh, successful. Um, I'd love to know, did you ever get an insight into why you lost that pitch to Vodacom? No, like we didn't even we didn't even hear back from them. Like they, we just saw all of a sudden they went wild on this PR. They didn't even get back to us to say 
um, we're not through or anything, but we just uh, saw that it. We just saw this PR with this thing called Borderland, and then we soon realized that it was uh, one of our competitors that white labeled the product. Like amazing for them, like well done. Um, but yeah, we we lost out. I'm not really sure why. Um, yeah, maybe the maybe our competitors either sold it better, had a better relationship, they prefer the product, mm. better commercial terms. Mm. I'm not sure. Yeah. And tell me, um, where are you going? I mean, like as, as funder, obviously cut your teeth locally here in South Africa. I mean, talk to me and talk to our audience around the world around like, where are you going? I know like other countries in Africa, like what does this, in, you know, obviously you're looking to grow huge. So, um, where, where are you going? Um, look, we want to first fully capitalize on South Africa. There's there's such a big market here. It's so untapped. Um, there's not enough. And, and I'm a big fan of competition. And I'm saying it like kind of out in the open. There's not enough competition within the SME alternative financing space. Um, as hard as it was before, it's even much harder now. And why do I say this? Because before SME funding used to be the new hot word on the street. Now SME funding becomes a curse word for investors because if you think about um, risk, so who would like SMEs are the most prone to like an economic downfall. So who in the right mind would take money and kind of lend it to SMEs in these times? So I think all these factors has made it has made it harder for like new startups to come into the space. So with that being said, we're focusing heavily on South Africa and we we we're doing a little bit of a rebrand which is coming out in first of March, which is super exciting because we don't believe anyone is actually targeting the millennials. So we want to be the first uh, millennial SME lender in the market. Everyone's going after like the baby boomers and the guys that have the existing shops with 20 to 30 years track record and it's all nice and pretty, but we want to actually go with the young guys, you know, why not? They, they need us, they need us the most. We need to give them that little bit of fuel. Well, um, they, they, I employ a lot of millennials. All I know is they're very fickle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're yeah. quite, and uh, they're an entitled bunch. <laughs> I know for sure, but but I know the numbers. So um, I saw a stat recently: the the demographic dividend, right for uh, for Africa between the ages of I think it is twenty, it's like twenty six to thirty, and then twenty to twenty five. If you add those two things together, it's over sixty percent. Of wow. the distribute, like so, if you want to, if you're saying that that's where you're focusing, that's the future economic dividend. Because I love the strategy. Because if you're hedging your bets over five to ten years, and you say, okay, so of that distribution, how many of those are going to become the future economic wallet holders? Well, it's them. It's not the baby. That ship sailed, right? So, it, and again, I love. I mean, a lot of the things you're saying around the strategy and rebranding and all this kind of stuff. I think it's it's very exciting to see what you're doing, and and you know, and I think if you and I love Africa, and I'm going to just quickly share this this um, this press release. Like, was it came out when was this now? 16th of October, so towards the end of last year. I'm going to share it, but you'll you'll know about it. But it was uh, this up on the screen. Yes, is uh, it's on Venture Burn, Nigerian tech startup acquired by US fintech. Yeah. So uh, this company, um, Paystack. So it was like some ridiculous acquisition it number. It was Stripe, no? It was yes, it was. Then. It was exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was to Stripe. Two young yeah. guys, millennials. Quite <laughs> FYI, um, <laughs> uh, basically built this business, and uh, you know they sold it for. I think it was like for a hundred million dollars or something crazy like that. Paystack. I mean, I love that story specifically because of what it indicates for us as a community of startups, right? And so, especially yeah. for you, I mean, in, that's literally the benchmark to say, listen, if you if you want to double down on South Africa, that's cool. But certainly in the long term, I mean, there's a huge untapped African market. And you know, as well as I do, and obviously our international viewers probably less so, but like if you think about M-Pesa, again, a Vodacom product or Vodafone product running on USSD and how that's scaled for international money transfer. And there's just so much unknown about Africa Africa. It's like the dark continent. Like if you went, like one of our one of our customers is a fintech company, AI company in New York, 
And if you go to them and you say, hey, what do you know about the African continent? It's like it's, you get crickets. They don't know anything. Literally. It's zero. Um, and, but yet, if, let's just say it is Stripe that acquired Paystack. So then they're looking at Africa going, hmm, what do we do if we want to scale into an African developing economy, right? Think about that. And you've got a billion people who are going to connect in Africa alone, right, for the first time ever, <laughs> like in before the before like the end of 2025 or something crazy. So, I mean, they took an interest in it and they acquired Paystack and obviously now look at them. So I'd love to get your view. I mean, if somebody came knocking on your door, let's just say in five years' time, I mean – is there a number on the table for you? Like, would you ever sell? So we actually like partnered up with one of our like competitors now. So one of our competitors, like I said, we needed access to to finance, and we were sitting with a good brand, good distribution. So uh, one of our competitors um, essentially acquired us um, at a company called Retail Capital. So it's just been amazing, you know, partnering up with them, understanding them, still running our brand, running it like as much as we can. Um, but having all this support, all this knowledge, all this balance sheet behind us, which has been like unbelievable. Um, going into like Africa, for example, like it's always been on our cards, you know, like you're saying, like there's so much potential, so much opportunity um, in Africa. But the main problem is like understanding the data, you know, like how do you, because essentially we underwrite off data, whether it be transactional data, credit bureau data, social media data, um, home affair data, whatever it is. So how do you understand their data and build credit models around their data? Because essentially credit is credit. Uh, when it comes to numbers, so to understand like the business on the number side, it's international language. But when it comes to like the whole other aspects of the risk, um, it, it varies from country to country. So it'll be very interesting to see where we, where we'll go next. What would you say has been your greatest achievement so far? Uh, that's a good question. Um, look, I think launching this business and having like a like a self-sufficient profitable business it's just been the greatest achievement like i've ever i've ever done you know but like like we say like we uh, what did you use earlier with being inside the bottle we can't read the label yes i'm i'm inside that bottle like i'm a hundred percent of the time i won't even joke about it like i'm never in that one percent i wouldn't even say 99 percent or one percent i'm standing outside and reading the label i'm always in that bottle and sometimes you just forget to like reflect back and enjoy like where you are at the moment and what you've done because you're just constantly chasing your tail, right? Mm. You're constantly putting new targets for yourself. And, and I mean, if I had to tell myself where I am now, like two years ago, I would, I would, I would be like, shit, like this is, this is lacquer, like mm. chill kind of thing, you know, mm. but now you're in it. And I'm putting like new targets for myself. And when I say myself, it's my business partner. And now we just constantly at each other's necks about like target growth, like just ramping this thing up, like no sleeping. Mm. Um, and then I'm sure in like two years time, I'll say the same thing. If I knew I would be there now, I would probably be happy with myself, but I don't think he ever, there's ne it's hard to have that self-sufficient when you're an entrepreneur, right? It's hard to have that, point in time where you're actually satisfied because you're always chasing your tail whether it's a good thing or a bad thing i think it's just the way you're wired right you're always looking for the next thing and like trying to grow it as much as possible and it's just it's it's everything on the table right it's your whole life so you've got to make sure you do it properly yeah um has there been a, a time when you're like we're not going to make it so, you know, it's interesting yeah. for me. It's like, you know, <laughs> every, every entrepreneur has that moment where you're like, hmm, tomorrow is not going to be a good day. <laughs> it's like the day before it ends. Uh, have you had a day before it was going to end? COVID. My God, that was so hectic. <laughs> when, <laughs> when level five came knocking on the door, I'll tell you the honest truth. Like we were like looking at backup plans. We were like, shit. This is like super real. Like I told you, 90% of our book was on payment holiday. That means 90% of the revenue was cut 
every single piece of money that we were collecting were going back to our debt providers because they were also extremely worried. I mean, you can only imagine they had so much capital outlaying on the market through us, but um, exposed to these small businesses, which everyone at the time was like, guys, everything's crashing. Everything's going up in flames. We're just on a sinking ship. Everyone's going to close. No business is going to survive it. Because if you think about it, no, essentially like in our portfolio, hardly any business has reserve capitals. Like they're all coming to us to work with the money. No one has reserve capital in their business, like especially the, the area that we service. So it was super risky. And at the time, everyone was closed, not paying us back. Our existing debt providers like halved our facility. So, I mean, it was just carnage. It was total carnage. That was, that was literally the lowest point I've ever had in my life in the business. So I was like, okay, shit. Um, my partner, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a CA, so he's going to carry on looking after the book and like essentially winding it down and I need to go look for a job. That was cool. intense. And now, uh, but yeah, I mean, look at you now though, right? I mean, you look back at that, you go, yeah, well, you know, you yeah. you still, yeah literally still here and you just go like and that's why I like being lean and nimble is the best thing you can do you know you can just turn on and off your expenses that was like the most beautiful thing mm. um you know small team uh everyone kind of like, came to the party it was either like complete like salary reductions and no switching off marketing blah 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 or we're going down <laughs> Yes, the analogy being that, you know, if you want to get, if you load your army onto ships and you cross a foreign sea to invade a foreign land, when you get there, you have to instruct your lieutenants to burn all the ships because otherwise you'll always have a way to go back. The mind will find a way to go back there, right? Plan B. There is no plan B. There can never be a plan B. You must only go forward. You must only go forward. And even if a business fails, it's not you. It's the business that failed. You didn't fail. It's just the business. So start another one. Same thing 100%. two months later. I mean, I've been there as well. I mean, we had like, uh, you know, had to pay salaries. And we just didn't have, we didn't, for some reason, we invoiced loads, but didn't get paid um, for, for, for like a month, single cent, right? And we don't have like six months, no business is six months when we're unless you at scale. So, cause you're no. reinvesting that stuff all the time. And then I remember I was exactly. like, cool. So, and I was like, Hmm, so I've been here before, <laughs> you know? Um, and, yeah. and then, and then I was like, cool. So we're going to take these six people. We're going to have to like, you know, um, retention packages with these people. And then I'm going to retire this business. And then the next day, literally we're going to start a new company. Um, and you know, you just had, but you know what happened was that fortunately didn't ha it didn't happen. And then it was like 24 hours later, we had our best month ever. We just got clapped. Like all the, yeah, all those invoices just came flying through and it was like, we had our second best month of the year, 24 months, 24 hours later, but it was, sure. it was such a seesaw swing, right? The mindset. Uh, and I think that's such an important point, which is, you know, you, you, there's always another move, always. It's never the end. It's only you that decides whether you're going to quit or not. Um, but I, I, we need to wrap up, dude. Um, so it, obviously, you know what I'm going to ask you now, but why do you do what you do? Like, why do you do all of this? Um, I think, first of all, is to solve a real need in the market. And second of all, is um, for myself, you know, I think, I think, having your own business growing something from the ground up, it's the biggest accomplishment a person can have, you know, like, okay, okay so I haven't had kids and raising a family, so I can't really uh, say that. But I think a person in my age, in my position, I mean, there's no bigger accomplishment than actually like working so hard for something and to see its fruits, you know, and to see it becoming like, this is like a, a leading financing brand now in the market. And like, Two years ago, or like two and a half years ago, we were looking at our competitors as market research, and now we essentially we think, or you know, we, we kind of surpass them. Um, so it's it's been the greatest achievement. Well, I never get tired of hearing those stories, and more importantly, telling those stories to the audience around the world who potentially are battling to believe in themselves and going through a tough time. So it's never the end. Obviously, Don and Funder, you're a, kind of a, a poster child for that story of, of many, many others like that. So 
but uh, but thank you for for being on the show, man, and thank you for reaching out. It's nice to get some uh, fresh talent, local talent, back on the show. It's been an international brigade for some time, so thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it, man. And wishing you all the very best for the future, man. I think it's going to be a bright one. Thank you so much. All right, mate. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.